Today we continue our Up Close and Personal Sermon series, Traveling with Jesus through the Book of John. Just before our reading in the Book of John, Jesus has spoken words of love and peace to his disciples, commanding them to love one another as he has loved them. Jesus tells them he is returning to the Father and promises to send an advocate, a helper, a spirit of truth to come to them. Then Jesus prays and retreats with disciples to the garden. Judas, Jesus's betrayer, comes with soldiers and police who arrest and bind Jesus and take him away before the high priest Caiaphas. In the meantime, Peter, warming himself by a fire, denies Jesus three times. Our scripture reading for today from John 18 and 19 picks up as Jesus is brought away from Caiaphas to the official residence of Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. John 18, 28 to 40, John 19, 1 to 7. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Judeans replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he said this, he went out to the Judeans again and told them, I find no case against him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was abandoned. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, the king of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. 
and the chief priests and police saw him. They shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Judeans answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The story of Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion is a difficult way to proclaim the gospel. Telling the Christmas story is so much easier, because who doesn't love a baby, and shepherds with sheep, and angels proclaiming peace on earth? In contrast, the story of the crucifixion is awful. It's brutal and violent. Instead of celebrating life, death comes into the forefront. When we listen to this story, we come face to face with the reality of betrayal, denial, and ambition gone wrong, integrity twisted inside out. In short, this story unmasks some very human ugliness. So why tell this story? Simply put, in the Gospel account, we see the tragic dimensions of human life and the character of God who meets us with grace. Even though the story of Jesus' trial is really challenging, today I invite you into it. Can you put yourselves in Peter's shoes? Can you walk in the footsteps of the Jewish leaders? Can you see Jesus up close and personal through Pilate's eyes? And in doing so, can you see who God is and how God is with us? A couple of notes before we really dive in. For this sermon, I'm covering a little more than we heard in our reading, all of chapter 18 in John through um, John 19, verse 16. So if you want a chance to review it, you can pause. Otherwise, I will be filling you in as we go along. And also, if this was a written paper instead of a video sermon, I'd need to have a little footnote at the bottom. In doing research for this sermon, I came across a paper by a professor named Craig R. Kester out of Luther Seminary called, Were You There? Telling the Story of Jesus' Trial and Ours. And this paper really helped me understand Jesus' trial in a new way. So I want to acknowledge up front that the paper influences the way that I will frame the gospel story for us today. Okay, first, let's fill out the background. Where in the world are we? This story takes place in Judea, which is now part of the Roman Empire, early in the first century AD or BCE before the Common Era. Rome is the ruling power almost everywhere, and Pontius Pilate is the Roman governor, the official Roman representative having power over everything in the land. However, under Roman rule, client states like Judea often had a good bit of autonomy as long as local rulers maintained order and paid their tribute to Rome. This is where the high priest Caiaphas, the chief priests, and the other Judean leaders come in. They are invested in keeping order so that they can maintain their autonomy and not have Rome come in and crack down on them. One translation note, in the reading you heard these leaders referred to as the Judeans, while in a lot of Bibles, you will see the Jews. 
The word in the Greek there is iodios, which can be translated as either Judeans or Jews. There is a valuable but inconclusive discussion on which is more correct. Using Judeans emphasizes the ethnic and geographic ties, while Jews emphasizes religious identification, though the religion of the time would not be recognizable as modern-day Judaism. A further issue is how John's Gospel has been used in history to fuel anti-Semitism. And there are arguments on both sides as to whether Judeans or the Jews is a better choice from that perspective. Ultimately, I've chosen Judeans for today because the central driver of the conflict for the story is about political power in the region of Judea. So, as we were saying, Rome has the power. The local leaders have some autonomy, but Rome would come in there if there was unrest. And when they, came, when they came in, they came down hard, and crucifixion was a major tool for them in keeping order. The Romans crucified a lot of people. They crucified disobedient slaves, disgraced soldiers, foreigners, and especially political activists, sometimes called bandits or rebels. They were favorites for this kind of execution. And when I say the Romans crucified a lot of people, I mean a lot of people. For example, the Roman general Varus crucified 2,000 Jewish people in 4 BC, just four years before Jesus' birth. So the local Judean leaders were understandably invested in keeping Rome from taking any more interest in them. So into this uneasy political situation enters Jesus preaching and teaching and healing and possibly stirring up trouble for the local leaders who therefore arranged to have him captured and put an end to the trouble Jesus might bring for them. We'll come back to these leaders in a minute, but first we're going to spend some time with Peter. Peter is a disciple of Jesus. In John, Peter is portrayed as a person who really cares about relationships Peter respects Jesus a lot, and he is sure he will follow Jesus no matter what. Above all, Peter is loyal. He is with Jesus in Gethsemane, and he pulls out his sword to defend Jesus when the soldiers come for him. But in the end, the soldiers do bind Jesus and lead him away. After the soldiers take Jesus, Peter follows and goes into the courtyard of the high priest. He is there with another disciple who is unnamed, but it is a disciple whom the high priest knows. A servant girl recognizes Peter and asks if he is a disciple of Jesus. And notice two things here. One, it is a servant girl who asks, not a police officer or a guard or a soldier. So it is someone with little power or influence. And there is already another disciple there in the courtyard who was known to everyone as a disciple of Jesus. So Peter would not be alone in acknowledging his relationship to Jesus. Yet when he is asked, Peter denies that he does have a relationship with Jesus. The slaves and the police who are warming themselves overhear the servant girl ask this question and ask again. And still Peter answers two more times, I am not. 
I am not a disciple of that man. Peter, who has believed that he would follow Jesus anywhere, even believing he would lay down his life for Jesus, fails to remain loyal. We don't know why. We can speculate, but perhaps he did just what most of us would do. Most of us, when we are, we are scared and afraid. Peter hides who he really is from the world around him, fearful of judgment. If we put ourselves in Peter's shoes, we can ask this question, have any of us ever hidden who we really are from the world? Peter is not the only one in this story who loses one of his most defining characteristics. The local leaders do too. The chief priests of the Judeans, at, at, when we look at them, at first we might not see ourselves in them. They seem legalistic, uh, overly concerned with rules, and very negative. But think of it this way. They have very strong principles, a strong sense of right and wrong. Most of us might not want to be seen as legalistic, but we do want to be seen as committed to doing what's right. And these religious leaders believe they are standing up for their principles. And this is where the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders builds. Jesus' conduct is provoking them because with all his preaching and teaching and healing, Jesus is doing things the quote-unquote wrong way. He is speaking out of turn in the temple. I mean, think how you would feel if someone just stood up in the back of the sanctuary and started preaching as if they had every right to do so. And Jesus is also breaking the God-given laws by healing on the Sabbath. You know, how would you feel if someone broke a law right in front of you? My kids and I saw somebody shoplift a donut one time. This was years ago, and we still talk about it. And when the authorities call Jesus out, when they challenge him on his behavior, he claims he is working at one with God, which they have this principle. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Everyone knows that. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. But if there is just one God, then the eyes, in the eyes of the Judean leaders, Jesus is not God. They could have just ignored him, but he was popular and drawing a lot of attention to himself. So they began to get worried that the Roman administrators would think that Jesus was a rabble rouser, fomenting some kind of overthrow of the government. And remember, the Romans were known for using brutal force. And if they came in with force, things could get really bad for everyone. And we don't want a repeat of those 2,000 people that the Roman general had crucified just some 30 years before, do we? John chapter 11 tells us that the priests struggled with what to do. Caiaphas, the high priest, decides. He says, it is better to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. This is arguably a noble principle considering the greatest good uh, for most people. So in considering the greatest good for the most people, they prepare to give Jesus over to Pilate. So where does it all break down for the Judeans? 
where do they lose their way? Well, a little later in John, when Pilate is deciding whether to crucify Jesus or release him, the Judean leaders say, if you release this man, you are no friend to the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself up to be against an emperor. This so far isn't a violation of their integrity, but it is a tactic to put pressure on Pilate to get what they want. And when Pilate comes back to them and says, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answer in verse 15, we have no king but the emperor. And this is where they lose themselves completely. The Roman emperor in this time was on his way to divine status. He would be formally deified in death, that is, elevated to the status of a god in the people's eyes. Do you see where this is going? The priests claim the emperor, and not God, as king. And the emperor is on his way to godlike status. And therefore, the Judeans now have claimed that they put the emperor before God. In trying to uphold what they believed was right, they ultimately violated their own integrity. In thinking about the Judeans, putting yourselves in their shoes, has your desire to be right ever gone too far? Now we've got Peter who lost his loyalty, the Judean priests who have lost their integrity, and who's next? Pilate. Pilate's story is one of a hunger to hold on to power. He is the most powerful man in the country. He is in charge of the military, finances, and the judicial system. Basically, everything that we have three branches of government for. And the Jesus issue comes before him. And he treats it like a nuisance, one in an endless stream of issues to come before him. In his eyes, Jesus doesn't really seem like a threat. But since the charges were made, Pilate goes through the motions. Pilate asks Jesus what he has done. And Jesus answers, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Judeans. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate presses again. So, are you a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Basically, what Pilate understands from this conversation is Jesus is not claiming kingship in the political sense. He is not going to try to overthrow the government, which is what the Romans would be worrying about. Pilate hears Jesus' puzzling answer and replies, What is truth? Such a loaded question. Does the truth matter here? Is truth important? Does truth even exist? Pilate and the Judean leaders are uneasy with each other. Pilate needs to keep the peace, but he knows the charges are not true. So he offers to release Jesus. The Judeans don't want Jesus released. So Pilate tries another tactic. Pilate tries humiliating Jesus, putting a crown of thorns on him and a purple cape and mocking him. Is that enough? No. The crowd wants him crucified. 
So the Judeans tell Pilate that Jesus claims to be the Son of God. And in Rome, there is only one Son of God, the Emperor. And so now Pilate is afraid that maybe this guy really is a rebel, so he goes and questions Jesus again. And again, is sure that Jesus should be released. Finally, what gets to Pilate and convinces him that Jesus must be handed over to be crucified is when the Judeans cry out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself up against the emperor. So hearing this, Pilate presents Jesus to the Judeans saying, Here is your king. Shall I crucify him? Now Pilate has finally completely turned away from truth and allows his desire to maintain power and position to win out. Pilate may be the most powerful man in the country, but here he proves he indeed is powerless to act on what is true. He pronounces Jesus innocent, but hands him over to be crucified anyway. Most of us will never have as much power as Pilate, and yet, might we sometimes act in our own best interests, even if it is costly to another? I started out by saying it's so much easier to preach the Christmas story with its cozy family and its glorious angels. So why tell this story of brutality, failed loyalty, of integrity turned upside down, and of the desire for power winning out over truth? Why should we face uncomfortable questions about who we are? It's disturbing to look at who we really are, who we can be as humans. We want to think of ourselves as good, but are we really that different from Peter or the Judeans or Pilate? Human loyalty, principle, and ambition can only go so far before they have the potential to be corrupted. And that's why Humanity doesn't have the last word in this story. This story is about God and God's self-giving love to restore us. During the Last Supper, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. In reflecting on this story of Jesus' arrest and trial, I think the call for us in these difficult times is to drop our pretenses and be truthful about our own failings. Maybe this time of social isolation can help us to recognize how radically dependent we are on one another for our own well-being. With the spread of this virus, we see how small the globe really is and how connected we are, how our own individual decisions can literally mean life or death for the wider community. One way to look at the sacrifices we have been having to make in social distancing, and I know for some, the sacrifices are extreme and I pray not too devastating. And this is where we should consider going forward how important a social safety net and healthcare is for everyone. But. In this time of social distancing, we could look at the collective work we are all being asked to do to give up our usual patterns of life as for the well-being of everyone. The highest form of love is to give up one's life 
for one's friends. We are human, and we will fail in our relationships sometimes. We will violate our own integrity sometimes, and our desire to be right or to be in control will cause us to make poor choices. And yet, here's some good news. God's love goes beyond that. Jesus gives up his life for a world that denied and hated him, that rejected him, in order to bring the world back to God. As we go into Holy Week, remember that Jesus' love is radical, self-sacrificing love. God in Jesus Christ is loyal beyond measure. God in Jesus Christ speaks truth to a broken world. God in Jesus Christ's ambition is to redeem the world with love and forgiveness. Thanks be to God. Amen.